Earth 2, a world much like our own, yet slightly different. There, young and old have joined forces to battle evil, the newest heroes joining the champions of the Golden Age, presenting Tales of the Justice Society of America. Hello and welcome to the Tales of the Justice Society of America. I am Scott Gardner. And I am Michael Bailey. And this is episode 30, if you can believe that. I, I can and I can't, because on one level it feels like episode 5, and on the <laughs> other hand it feels like we've been doing this for years, in a good way, not like... <laughs> God damn it! I got to talk to that gardener asshole again. But uh, well, I, I get that a lot. So. <laughs> no, but the, the, this is uh, this is going to be an interesting episode, I think. So, uh, especially with what you have brought to the table first. Which, oh uh, God! All right, I'm going to fess up. I'm to blame for this one. Hopefully, we'll still be able to make it entertaining. But here's the deal, folks. I'm just going to give you the skinny right up. I judged a book by its cover in this case. The first one that we're going to talk about tonight is Flash, Volume 1, number 268, from December 1978. Now, the cover to this one, which is by Al Milgram and uh, Dick Giordano, mm-hmm. shows the Flash running with a copy of, it's a Golden Age copy of Flash Comics. And he's running down the street and he's being tackled by both the Golden Age uh, Green Lantern and Wildcat, you know, both members of just, you know, the Justice Society of America. So I figured, oh, cool, you know, this is a Justice Society crossover. Well, as you're going to find out, that's not quite the case. However, I wasted my time reading this goddamn thing, so you're going to hear about it. So here we yeah, go. Th- th- this is a JSA crossover in the sense that the new Jonah Hex movie is a Jonah Hex story. Oh, don't get I'm not, I'm, I'm not started. I'm not. I just thought it was a fitting <laughs> comparison. It actually is a fitting comparison. I'm, I'm not doing it to wind you up because I know how you are about that, and I really don't want to have us start the episode with both with you swearing and me agreeing with you and swearing too, probably. No, so. no, that's okay. If it's anybody's fault tonight that I'm wound up or that I wind up wound up, it's Carrie Bates's fault. Okay, she wrote this goddamn atrocity. So here we go. Um, penciler on this is Irv Novick and inks by Frank McLaughlin. Uh, the art's not an issue, actually. The art's pretty good. I'm not the biggest Irv Novick fan, but uh, this is actually some pretty good stuff. So This uh, was a good era for Flash artwork, though. I liked his art. During yeah. I don't mean to derail you right away, no. but uh, I wanted to say that before I forgot. <laughs> now, uh, seeing as how this is a Flash book, I'm going to read the little, uh, the little intro they give us here. It says, A bolt of lightning stabbed into a laboratory, striking a cabinet filled with chemicals, dousing police scientist Barry Allen with a combination of these substances. A freak accident which endowed him with incredible speed, enabling him to run across the surface of water, vibrate through solid walls, and outrace a beam of light. Those who know Barry as an easygoing slowpoke little guess that his is the face behind the crimson mask of the fastest man alive, The Flash. 
And uh, I love this splash page because it asks the question. It says, what is the most sought after, most valuable comic book in the world? Well, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not the fucking one that's in this story, okay? (laughs) So anyway, this story is entitled The Riddle of the Runaway Comic. And I I like the little picture it shows here. It shows the comic with legs and it's running away. That's actually kind of cute. So anyway, the story begins with uh, Barry Allen's next door neighbor. neighbor. Yeah, I can't talk. Let me start that over. So the story begins with Barry's, uh, Barry Allen's next door neighbor, little uh, Barney Sands is his name. He's tearing up his bedroom and he's looking for a missing comic book. In the meantime, the Flash is racing about the city searching for a 600-pound female. No, it's not one of Chris Honeywell's one-night stands. It's oh, actually, <laughs> It's actually Griselda, a huge bear. Leaving her in a pit that he digs at super speed, the Flash races to his home, passing Barney unseen. The boy stops by uh, Barry's place to return a borrowed microscope. He tells Barry his woes about having lost a rare back issue, and Barry tries to cheer him up by asking him to help Barry get his own collection in order. And as Barney begins, he makes a shocking discovery. His missing copy of The Flash number 26 in Barry's pile! That son of a bitch! Actually, the strange thing is is that not only does Barney not flip out on Barry and accuse him of thievery, but he even goes so far as to agree to leave the issue so Barry can read it when his mom calls him home. So either Barry has done something like totally awesome to earn this kid's trust, or Barney's just a complete dumbass, and I'm not sure which it is. So either way, Barney uh, is... Or excuse me, Barry, rather, is left with the comic that suddenly fades away, prompting Barry to change to the Flash to investigate. The Scarlet Speedster traces the teleportation radiation trail oh boy, of the comic to Central City's first Comic-Con. Way to go, Central City. He tracks the comic book to the dealer table of a guy who was just thinking about this very issue and how he'd always wanted one. And holy shit, there it is. The Flash, now in his Barry Allen guise, tries to buy it off the guy, when suddenly the Golden Age Green Lantern and Wildcat show up out of the blue. Only, they're not the real guys, as it turns out. They're armed thugs who take the comic at gunpoint, and they take Barry as a hostage. But he gives them the slip and ducks into an elevator where he changes to the Flash, much to the chagrin of a couple of fanboys who missed their opportunity to get an autograph from him. I actually like that part. Uh The Flash catches up to the crooks in their getaway taxi. Yes, I said a getaway taxi. And he gives them the shakedown, but they won't talk. A mysterious figure relieves the cabbie of his copy of The Flash number 26, Uh, just when he was getting all excited about reading it, too, which, uh, you know, and they wonder why we can't get new readers into this hobby. But anyway, at this point, the amazing, stupendous, intricate, and super incredible keen plot is revealed. Now, I warn you, gentle listener, (laughs) your heart may not be able to withstand the awesome I am about to unleash on you. Are you ready? All right. You've been warned. Brace yourselves. It seems a scientist, the late Professor Philip Denton, invented something called Formula XCV4 that, along with making windows and countertops sparkling clean, allows objects sprayed with it to become susceptible to telepathic teleportation. He tested this, tested this, 
by spraying some on the cover of one of his kids' comics. Now, fathers in the listening audience, never do this shit, okay? Don't don't spray shit on the covers of your kids' comics. If you have to test it, spray it on your kids, all right? Don't don't spray it on the comics. That's you know, don't don't ruin a perfectly good golden age issue. So anyway, long story short. It gave this book the ability to be psychically pulled to whomever is thinking the hardest about it at the particular moment. (laughs) Which is how the Flash ends up finding these assholes. He just thinks really hard about the issue and it comes to him. So then he backtracks the teleportation radiation and then he roughs up the bad men. So in the end, Barry presents Barney with a mint condition replacement copy of the Flash number 26 from the huge stash of them that these bad guys had to obtain in order to find the real one, which was laced with the formula. Which got me to thinking, in essence, Barry Allen stole shit from the police evidence lockup to give it to this kid. So I'd just like to point that out for all the people that think of Barry Allen as squeaky clean. So anyway, all's well that ends well, I guess, you know, uh, unless you happen to, you know, have a brain in your head, at which point, you know, you should probably take some Tylenol and go have a little lie down for a while because I needed one after reading this this friggin' issue. So what, what did you think of this one? <laughs> okay, I basically have uh, I have four things to say about this issue. <laughs> uh, I'll leave the most obvious comment to last. But my first one is how creepy is it? That this boy just shows up at Barry's house to go hang out with the next-door neighbor guy that's into comic books, too. This shit would never happen today. I swear to God, if, if we got, like, a kid in the neighborhood that knew that I collected comics and wanted to come in my house, their parents would have me arrested, Wait. like, right away. You're right. When you say today, you're you're absolutely right. But you know, it's funny that I was thinking not long ago as I was telling my origin story for comics on on one of the myriad of shows I've been on. You know, I, I got into comics by going to this guy's house. You know, the, the the local librarian told me about this guy at the end of the street who, you know, had all these comic books. So I started going to this guy's house, and it was this big, kind of creepy place, because you know, because they didn't have a lot of money and stuff, and their place was a little run down. And he was probably in his, oh, I don't know, I'm guessing maybe 50s or so, kind of, kind of creepy looking guy and everything, kind of creepy house, and you know, he had all this stuff in this kind of creepy den. And I was, I was preteen, so. I don't, you know, I lived that experience and don't think of it as weird or creepy or anything like that. But looking back on it now, I'm like, damn, I wouldn't let my kids go and do shit like that. But, you know, I think that's just with our modern sensibilities and, you know, with, with yeah. creeps and weirdos being so prominent in the headlines these days. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. I thought of that, too, when I was reading this story that, yeah, it's not a little bit weird, but. I don't know. Back then, I I don't know that it really was so weird, but it it feels that way when you read it, you know, with modern sensibilities, I guess. Okay, my second comment is, and this is the thing that has always bugged me about this aspect of Earth-1, Earth-2 relations, is that they had the cool thing that, hey, Barry Allen read about Jay Garrick's adventures, you know, when, you know in the Golden Age. Okay. So that's fine for Barry Allen, and that's fine for Green Lantern, that's fine for the Atom, that's fine for Hawkman, that's fine for all of those guys. Um, 
So are we to assume that there were no copies of Action Comics or Detective Comics (laughs) published that would, oh, I don't know, give away Batman and Superman's secret identity? That's just my... I. I was thinking about that when I was reading it, and I'm like, that it just it just bugs me. Um, three, I think this is a pretty accurate depiction of a one day comic show, <laughs> even today. <laughs> you're you're right. Eh? I, I I was surprised at the realism. Um, With one big nitpick though, but I'm going to get to that in a moment. Uh, and four, goddamn, this thing was stupid. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> that actually ties very well to my very first note, which was... Uh, this guy created magic fucking fairy dust that makes the comic like appear whenever you want to? Oh, God. Oh, man. <laughs> I filed this under the uh, heading of calling a spade a spade time. And I just I couldn't candy coat it any other way. What a fucking retarded story. <laughs> <laughs> we're not even talking like charming retarded like corky on life goes on we're talking uh we're talking like annoying retarded i mean just like like frat boy retarded <laughs> you know one of my notes too was that I, <laughs> I was sorry i read it but i knew after afterwards and after i got all my notes together i thought you know i'm actually not sorry because i knew we could find some funny in it and everything i mean it lends itself to ridicule so i'm i'm actually not <laughs> but i'm i'm sorry i read it only in the sense that it, it turned out to really not have a thing to do with with the jsa but still you know it was fun just because it was so incredibly stupid um other notes here Oh my God! This this just it made my palms sweat when I, when I was reading this issue. The way that people keep snagging this issue. Now maybe the Golden Age <laughs> stuff didn't didn't have such a relevance in nineteen. What what year was this? Seventy eight. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it wasn't that big a deal or what, but still, you know, they they snag it from each other. They you know it, it keeps getting teleported all over. They run it all over town and. You know, they're folding it up, and you can imagine it's getting all crinkled and, and uh, rolled up and everything. And it just, it, it, it was like, Jesus Christ. Even at the convention, this was my big thing about, I, I agree with you that I thought it was a pretty accurate depiction of a convention. However, bags and boards, bags and boards, bags and boards. Where the hell are they in this issue? Nothing's got a bag or a board on it. Were there not bags and boards in 1978? Uh, maybe, maybe not. I don't remember, but. It was making me crazy. It was making my skin crawl looking at all these these Golden Age comics they were depicting. You know, the kids are like, yeah, I'll trade you my All-Star comics. And it's like, you know, they're all wadded up and stuff. I was like, oh, my God, this is making me crazy. Um, but I'm not the only one that feels that way about things sometimes. <laughs> I have to say, though, I, I do have one huge positive for this, though. My estimation of lame-ass Barry Allen increased about a thousand percent reading this issue though because i did not know that he actually collected comics and the fact that at the end of the story he wouldn't balk at stealing a rare back issue from a kid in order to plug a hole in his own collection (laughs) makes it okay in my book i thought that was cool but no i mean it you know it shows him you know he's got this big old collection with all these stacks of books and comics and i thought that was really cool so Kudos to Barry Allen, who I've just always found to be one of the most boring characters in comics. At least it it 
gave him a little bit more personality for me, which was the that was my big problem with him. I just never thought he had much of one. But uh, also, I liked how Barry actually revealed to the kid at the convention that he likes to dress up as the Flash sometimes. That I, I have to admit, that was cute. That was cute. That was one of those. You know, it was like that that part in one of the. Superman the Animated Series episodes where, where Clark actually said something like that to Lois Lane, jokingly. And she took it that way. But he was actually telling her that he was Superman. I, I, it was that, that type of joke, and I, I appreciate the humor in that. So that was kind of cool. But overall, yeah, wow. <laughs> Seriously lame. Lame story. Alrighty, we're gonna we're going to move away from, from that. Uh, whatever that story was that's you know it, it's kind of sad to think that in six short issues after the one we just covered the series gets really good only after iris west is killed oh i thought she was dead so, already by that point no no she uh she died in 274 oh, okay so uh but we're gonna move into i'm gonna be completely honest with you i was pleasantly surprised uh, at the two stories we're going to cover. They, they, they go over five issues of Green Lantern uh, f- back when uh, Green Lantern... Is this Green Lantern Green Arrow, technically? Yes, I guess it is. It's Green Lantern Green Arrow after issue... after it came back from hiatus. Uh, but I was very pleasantly surprised because uh, I really wasn't expecting much, and maybe that's why I was so happy with what we read. <laughs> But the first three, and, and, and Scott and I are going to play a tag team on doing the synopsis for, the, for these chapters, come, uh, come in as a backup feature for Green Lantern, Green Arrow, number 108 to 110. We're going to start with the one from 108, where we have Alan Scott, Green Lantern of Earth 2. And I'm like you, I'm going to read the little indicia. Earth 2, a world much like our own, but with subtle differences. There, Alan Scott is the possessor of the power ring and the lantern that supplies its awesome energy, given to him not by the guardians of the universe, but by the mystical green flame of life with the power to serve the forces of good as the original Green Lantern. And this chapter is called The Champion of the Green Flame. It is written by Kerry Burkett with art, with awesome art by Mike Vosberg and Bob Smith. Yes. yes. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to cheat ahead a little bit. I think the artwork definitely went down in the next two chapters Yeah. after, after Vosberg left because Vosberg has a great style. Looks a little like Joe Staten on this first page, but it's really clear and it's really dynamic. So we're going to begin the synopsis with Alan Scott in his true identity as Green Lantern. I've been listening to a lot of the Superman radio show recently, so <laughs> the announcer voice in, is in my head. Is flying over Gotham City thinking about how much he misses the place when a terrific explosion of green flame nearly knocks him to the ground. Surveying the damage after catching himself on an I-beam, Green Lantern thinks that he might have caused this since none of the wood in the building was damaged. GL's musings are cut short when he overhears three men, Roger, McKenzie, and BJ, who have come in to rob the place before the cops get there. 
Green Lantern hits who I assume is Roger with a blast that is only meant to imprison the man, but ends up gravely injuring him. BJ doesn't take kindly to this and tackles Green Lantern, and Mackenzie joins in, but GL manages to fight back, even kicking Mackenzie right in the face. Oh, man, that was awesome. After taking the men out, GL checks on the guy he thought he killed and finds the man simply unconscious. GL thinks that he dare not use his power ring again until he figures out what the fuck is going on and changes back to Alan Scott as the police close in. Unbeknownst to Alan, but beknownst to us, a lone figure bore, uh, bore witness to his transformation, but we'll have to wait on to uh, wait on what all that really means until the next issue. Jay Garrett comes into the room and Alan tells his old friend that his career as Green Lantern is finished. Jay gives him a pep talk and Alan changes back into GL as... Jake kind of gets turned on by him turning into Green Lantern. It was kind of creepy to go investigate what the heck is going on. He discovers a trail of energy exactly like his heading into Chinatown. And that trail leads him into the very 70s TV show drama ish Sanctum of the Green Dragon, because God knows any time a show in the 70s went to Chinatown, it all looked the freaking same. And is surrounded by a group of people that are mighty pissed that uh, GL has stopped by. Green Lantern takes down the men in the room easily, but the men's master walks into the room and not only looks familiar to Green Lantern, but manages to negate his power ring as well. The master, as he is called, chides his minions for getting taken out like a bunch of chumps, but one, Chin Lu, makes a move towards Green Lantern's ring to be continued. Now, while I was very, very happy to see one of these Chinamen say, ah, so, because it's just not a comic from this era, unless a Chinaman says that. But at the same rate, I was, you know, I was really disappointed that nobody ever called Greenlander and Grasshopper through this whole thing. I'm just going to spoil <laughs> that right now. That never does happen. But yeah, you t- God damn, you talk about your 70s stereotypes. I'm, I was right, shit. wasn't I? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I noticed something else, too. This is super, super, super nitpicky. But you said that guy's name was Roger. Actually, look at the dialogue in this sequence. It doesn't make any sense. He says, all right, the, the first guy says, come on, Roger, right? So yeah. I'm assuming he's talking to one of the other two guys. Well, then the next guy over, the black guy, says, hurry it up, Mackenzie. So he's talking to the guy in the end. So that guy's name is Mackenzie. Mackenzie says, ah, simmer down, BJ, which is the guy in the middle. Yeah, so who that's the hell it. is he talking So who to? the hell is Roger? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I'm just wondering how Roger goes from having a full head of hair to being a, bu- a bald old man, you know, in a panel. Because Green Lantern burned it off with his ring. Oh, okay. I guess that makes sense. Maybe he was um, wearing, a, wearing a piece that got knocked off you know, when, when he got blasted by... I don't know. I got nothing. As long as it's like a William Shatner level to Hey, 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 hey. Hey, hey. This is did, not a did, safe place to be dissing on the chat, all right? Did, did you let me finish? <laughs> no. Which I said, which is awesome, because it does look good. Okay. <laughs> no one wears a toupee like the chat. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> oh, what have I got for notes on this one? Let me see. Well, first of all, I know this doesn't have any bearing and we didn't talk about it, but I just have to point out the fact that Replicon 
from the lead feature with uh-huh. Green Lantern and, and Green Arrow. He looks cool as hell, man. He he looks just like this uh, action figure that my kids have that I think is supposed to be based on the Azrael Batman. But he he looks really cool. I gotta I gotta uh-huh. go back and read this story sometime and figure out what the deal is with this Replicon guy because he he looks I, pretty badass. I do too because Greg Rucka brought Replicon's children into his Adventures of Superman run. Hmm. Uh, when he was writing the book back in like 2004, 2005. What? So now, I now I finally have a chance to read these, those issues. So that's the, that's going to be kind of cool. And it's a great name. This is like a Mazo done right. Yeah. That's what I was thinking actually was that he, lo- he's a lot like a Mazo cause it looks like he's got the combined powers of the justice league or some shit. So yeah, those wings are awesome. I mean, it's just a neat, that cover is great. Who's doing the covers on these? Mike Grell. Okay, so the well, <laughs> mystery solved. Yeah, it is. It's <laughs> awesome. I like his. Uh, I like his Golden Age Green Lantern too. You know the the part at the bottom where it says, "You know he's back from the Golden Age," and that you know that's Mike Grell as well. But his uh, his Golden Age Green Lantern looks really sharp too. Uh, he's yeah. he's and just he's, a hell of an artist anyway. Oh, I'll agree with that totally. But but you know what? It, it's really funny when I when I first got into to really collecting DC and learning the history, I thought that Alan Scott's costume was kind of lame. Mm-hmm. But after reading The Golden Age by uh, James, James Robinson, Robinson and Paul Smith and really starting to like the character in the pages of JSA and then rereading, you know, finally getting to read the All-Star stuff, I freaking love his costume. Mm-hmm. Color Scheme's a Nightmare but it's just a it's got everything in a costume i like it really does it's got a little flare you know like a like a flare on the cape the cape's really long he's got cool boots he's got a great symbol i mean it's a it's a great costume that is surprisingly held up well from the golden age i think so too Okay, I was about to say, is Scott about to rip? No, 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 not at all. No, I, it's it's funny because by all rights, this is one of those costumes I should look at and go, God, ugh, that's just. But it, I don't know. Somehow it just works for me. I've I've always thought he had a cool looking costume. Somehow the it, it all does come together, despite the fact that it, it really doesn't seem to have much of a, a rhyme or reason or, or theme or anything. It's it still does look cool though. Let's see what else have I got for notes here. Um, oh yeah, did those uh, looters seem to get there? You know, get on the scene really fast to you. <laughs> looters don't normally just happen by stuff like that. You know, I, I have to agree with you on that. That it's kind of kind of weird that they just showed up. It's it, right after the explosion. It seemed like it was planned. I mean, it's it's like so. immediate too. Yeah, and I was I kept hoping that maybe that would pan out later in the story that we would learn that there was like something in that building that t- turns out to be part of the plot or something. But no, those guys just I, I guess they were like the world's cleverest looters. They were right at the scene of the crime, waiting were, to, for it to happen or something. Good going, Johnny, on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> It also just provided, a, 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 in a plot sense, a means to show that Green Lantern's not in control of his powers. But yeah, uh, it, it brought that that point up a couple of times in this beginning chapter. It says something about his ring has been acting up or what. And I was just like, you know, has it shown this somewhere? Did I miss something, or was that, or no. did that originate with this story? 
That's I think that originated with this story, though past stories do eventually tie into this one. Right. And I thought it was really neat how they, how yeah. they did that. But we'll get to that when when that particular thing is revealed. Yeah, I did like so. that. Well, my last note was uh, just reiterating something you had said. I love the art in this issue. I've always been a big uh, Mike Vosberg fan anyway. I, I think he's uh, a fantastic artist. And uh, uh-huh. one of those guys you don't hear a whole lot about, um, Bob Smith as well. You know, he's a, he's a fantastic inker that I don't think you hear mentioned much. But that team worked really well on this, and uh, I, I'm sad to see them go because this next chapter is uh, – does not uh, feature either of these uh, gentlemen, which is unfortunate. But uh, are yeah. we ready to jump into the next one? Uh, I just I just had one thing to say about Vosberg. Uh, he is actually on one of the deleted scenes in of Comic Book the Movie, that Mark Hamill film. Oh, cool! Because he did some of the art, the, the artwork for the fake Commander Courage thing, and it's basically the scene is great because you have Mark Hamill on one side, you have Tom Kenny who does the voice of SpongeBob SquarePants, uh, among others, on the other. And they're talking about Mike Vosberg with him sitting right there designing a cover. Hmm. And they're almost like, it's almost like he's not in the room to them, but he is, and it was really weird. But it was really cool to see him like talk about the design of the stuff he was drawing. So uh, I like the heck out of it. I do, and yeah, GL just looks awesome in this story. <laughs> but go on, sir. Take it away. All right. Well, the next one we're doing is uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, number 109. Another fantastic uh, cover on this one by Mike Grell. Again, with uh, them up against Replicon. And then on the side, instead of being at the bottom this time, we have like a sidebar uh, that says, plus the original Green Lantern in chains. And he's all chained up. That looks, that looks really cool. I like that. So uh, this is the October 1978 issue, and uh, we're continuing continuing to look at the Alan Scott backup features. This one again is written by Carrie. Is it Burkett or? I always said Burkett. Burkett or Burkett. Okay. Uh, I mean, that works. Six of one, half a dozen of another. Really. <laughs> so we've got uh, art this time is by Juan Ortiz, yay, and Vince Coletta, boo. <laughs> and, and this is really unfortunate because I really like Juan Ortiz, but uh, Vince Coletta, as he's wont to do, just he can make the, the best pencilers look like complete shit, and that's really just unfortunate. <laughs> he, he does a spectacular job of that very thing in this particular story. So this one's entitled The Green Dragon of Death. So GL wakes up in time to see Chin Lu, who attempts to wear the lantern's ring, go up in green flames, leaving behind only a skeleton. Uh, turns out that if you're evil, you cannot wear the green lantern ring. So poor Lin, uh, Chin Lu. So GL staggers to his feet and flies off, not feeling up to dealing with these guys right at the moment and bugged by the familiar face of the head dude. Back in his room at Jay Garrick's place, he still can't find time to open a simple envelope. And having apparently suffered some brain damage in the fight, he recharges his ring again, despite the fact that he just did this like a half an hour ago in the last issue. I'm so glad you noticed that, too. (laughs) That bugged the piss out of me when I read it. It's one of my notes. (laughs) So the next day... He's uh, strolling through Chinatown as Alan Scott when, uh, when he is recognized as Green Lantern by this smoking hot little China girl dressed like Cheshire from the New Teen Titans. 
They go inside, and she introduces herself as Lo Lanky. That's how I'm going to pronounce it. I don't know how the hell you pronounce this name, but I'm going to say Lo Lanky. And uh, she had been present last issue when Green Lantern thought he destroyed that building. It turns out it was really the handiwork of Lo Lanky's master, a guy named Chang. This Chang dude, Green Lantern realizes, is the guy that the ring told him about way, way, way back in All-American Comics number 16. He was the first recipient of the Green Flame, but he's supposed to be dead. Well, he's not, all right? So just deal with it. A shard of the green rock that had been Chang's lantern has preserved him down through the centuries, and he's attempting to gain power with it. That's why he tried to take Green Lantern out last issue. And Lo Lanky was there to witness and report back to Chang on what happened. At this point, Green Lantern asked the question that I was just happened to be thinking at this point, which was, why is she telling him all this? It's because she's bound, uh, she's honor bound to this guy, but she doesn't share his ambitions. And Green Lantern guesses that she's Chang's daughter, for which he's rewarded with a blast from Chang himself. And it is on. Chang and Green Lantern duke it out in the skies above Gotham, but it is clear from the outset that Chang has the upper hand. Green Lantern just can't get his shit together and is felled. He plummets into an alleyway where Lo Lanky and some minions find him. She strips him of his ring and, in the final panel tosses him into a green, fiery pit Chang has whipped up to dispose of our hero. To be continued. And uh, I got to say right off the bat, the part where uh, Green Lantern, is, you know, he sees the, the, the fiery skeleton, you know, it's on fire with all this green flame, and he says it's purifying fire uh, burned his, or burned out his soul, he says. I thought that was cool. I thought that was really yeah. neat. I, I liked the fact that Unlike Hal Jordan's ring, which anybody can put on and it it may take them a while to get it to work because they might not have the proper willpower. But, you know, basically, if you get a Green Lantern ring, you can do something with it. This one has a built in mechanism that if you've got evil in your heart, it's going to freaking kill you. (laughs) And that's awesome. That is awesome. That's very cool. I love how it just like fried the skin off him too. He has nothing left but a, a fiery green skeleton. That was that was really cool. It was a nice visual. Speaking of nice visuals, I, I again I just have to point out I really feel sorry for poor Juan Ortiz because he is really a good artist, but uh you know, he, he's just he's saddled with the shit inker to beat all shit inkers and it's just really sad. But uh despite that and some, you know, uncomfortable uh, ethnic stereotyping and uh, and some, you know, horribly overused cliches. It's not a bad story so far. So, no, that's all I got for this chapter. I I've just got a couple of notes. One on page three of the story where we see Alan Scott, you know, next day and he's walking down the street. He's got his red turtleneck on. He's got a blue jacket and tan pants. I still really freaking hear that. <laughs> music from bad 70s television and then bam oh my god she's hot <laughs> this totally hot asian woman just pops up in front of him she how does is, that freaking too. work um uh i i really liked how his origin is getting played with in this mm-hmm. because 
I have not read a whole lot of Golden Age Green Lantern stories. I've read a few. They're kind of enjoyable. They're quirky. Uh, they're kind of nasty too. Like, 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 not like you know, not like don't call me my name ain't baby. You know, it's Janet Miss Jackson if you're nasty. But uh, <laughs> what? Just, just go with it. Just, 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 just keep trucking along. I made a, I made a, Den- I did a Dennis Miller again, so I apologize. Um, but I've, I've never really run across any stories that really deal with Alan Scott's origin. They always, you know, it's just like, hey, here's Alan Scott, and he's Green Lantern. So, so I, I thought it was neat to have the guy that first got the green flame uh, come in and have something to do with the plot. That's just neat to me. It, it's it's like that episode of The Greatest American Hero where Ralph and, and Bill are kidnapped by the guy that had a suit back in the 50s. Do you remember that one? Hmm, no. It was this really great episode where where the they they basically get kidnapped by this guy who knows how to who knows the suit's capabilities. He knows things that the suit can do that Ralph and Bill don't. And they meet this old man who got a suit from the aliens back in like the 40s or 50s years ago and he used it to build a business empire. And basically something really bad happened and he gave it up and if you don't wear the suit for like two weeks it disintegrates. So he was there to tell, you know, he needed Ralph to do something for him. And it was just a really subtle mythology episode, and that show really didn't have many of that. So that's what this kind of reminds me of. Hmm. Is that a good hmm or a bad hmm? It it sounds interesting. It sounds like something I'd like to check out. I I have never really seen uh, as much of that show as I would like to, and I didn't realize that they ever did any sort of, you know, legacy type of type of things or anything like that well if anyone's interested best buy has the entire all three seasons for twenty dollars damn <laughs> you know i did not make a note of this before and I, I hope this isn't me just stereotyping because this is yet another fu manchu looking asian villain dude but damn if he doesn't look a lot like the mandarin now that i, I get to look at bit. this guy again i'll uh i'll go with that all righty <clears throat> So we're going to get into Green Lan- the backup feature in Green Lantern number 110. Again, it's got the original Green Lantern. And they changed the logo, which kind of bothered me, but that's okay. <laughs> um, this is the Doom of Dragonfire, uh, written by again by Kerry Burkett and drawn by Juan Ortiz and Vince God Scott hates this man with the fire of a thousand <laughs> sons Coletta. <laughs> That's not true. I just don't I just don't dig on him. As GL plummets into the green flame, Chang, the old bastard, boasts about how now the ring is his and that it will lead him to the lamp of power. Chang rants about how power the power will soon be his, and he won't be just plain old Chang and blah blah blah. 
Lo and Shang leave. Moments later, GL claws his way out of a giant gaping hole, which I kind of wonder how that works. Wondering, how the hell did he survive that fall? He finds his power ring in the belt of his costume and realizes that Lo must have put it there, and the ring saved him. GL heads back home and thinks how he really needs to depend on his ring for the upcoming battle with Chang. Suddenly, the ring comes to life as a nagging woman and explains when he lost his nerve after getting fired from Gotham Broadcasting, something broke in Chang's green rock, and Chang was able to take full control of it. Essentially, uh, the ring tells him that he needs to get his balls back, especially since Chang is approaching, and if he survives, she'll tell him more about herself. Just like a woman. GL recharges his ring again, and Chang breaks in, and it's on like Donkey Kong. Chang attacks is, Chang's attack is savage, but GL fights back. Chang is about to unleash another can of green whoop-ass when a tree falls on, <laughs> begins to fall on him. GL warns, I, I, I can't get through this without laughing. GL warns him, but Chang ignores the hero and is killed when the tree just drops on him. What clunk. Lo shows up and confirms that Chang Chang didn't know of the impurity and drops the bomb that Chang was not her father, but her husband. And while she is no longer immortal, she has regained her soul. Back in Alan's room, he thinks about how he needs to stop being such a freaking panty waste and get his confidence back. And the first step is to open the letter from Universal Broadcasting. Kind of a weak ending, I think. No, it was awesome. Okay. Was I convincing? Because I need to convince myself, I think. Well, I just think it's funny that the final battle is Green Lantern versus the Gorn, basically. Oh, so. God damn it! you stole my thunder. Cause I was going to drop the Gorn joke, too. Because, oh. yeah, where he's coming, through the, uh, he's coming through the wall on the first panel on page six, I would love it if it said, Give up, Green Lantern. I'll be merciful. Because it's, it's totally the Gorn, dude. It's awesome. Yes. <laughs> I, the, the reason why I say it's a little it's a little disappointing is that we, we had a really good setup. We had a good middle chapter where we had this major revelation, and Green Lantern defeats him by a tree dropping on him. And we don't even see him getting hit by the tree. It's done off panel. Yeah, but I, I've I've long been of the opinion that lame villains should meet lame ends, and that's I mean, what's cooler than being crushed by a tree? You know, I, I think that's actually very fitting in this story. I like it a lot. Uh, two more notes: the um, I did like the twist that Lo was Chang's wife, not his daughter. Uh, it was an interesting twist to throw in there. And and two, wouldn't it be funny if the letter from Universal Broadcasting was a chain letter? And he's just not been reading it, and he builds it up. And, hello, Mr. Whoever, you know, you are receiving this because you are part of a chain. The last <laughs> person that... The last person, the first person that got this, the, that got this letter and mailed it to five of his friends, uh, gained incredible power. The second one went to an insane asylum until a green lamp made him sane again. The third found the lantern. Wait a second, this is my origin. God damn it! But um, well, that didn't come off like I wanted it to. But anyways. <laughs> apparently, that wasn't funny at all. I didn't say that. 
Um, well, I was thinking it'd be funny uh, if it, would, it turned out to be a bill for all the shit that he busted up when he went crazy. <laughs> but then I remembered that they don't know that he's Green Lantern, so I guess that didn't work. But that still would be funny, though. Uh, finally, I love how they bring back what happened to him in All Star Comics number sixty-eight. Yeah, uh, and having that as the reason why all of this is going on, I thought that was a neat way to tie everything together, and it kind of gave gave this three three-part story a little more continuity than I think it normally would have. This is strictly a visual joke, and I apologize to everyone out there that can't see it, but the first panel on page five, what the hell is Green Lantern doing? It looks like he's doing one of those Charlie Brown dance maneuvers from like... <laughs> yeah. yeah he's, I, what is that all about? But You know, the, the real problem with this chapter is that here's what I don't like about Vinnie Coletta. I know I give the guy shit. I think deservedly so. Other people may not, but here's my problem with Vinnie Coletta and Inker's like him i don't like inkers that are overpowering i think that's a sign of a bad inker when Mm -hmm. they don't so much enhance or bring out or add to the artist style but they completely overpower the artist that they're inking and that's my problem and it's really bad in this particular chapter because panel after panel I look at, and I can't see the Juan Ortiz in it. All I can see is the Vinnie Coletta in it. And that's just not good, because he's just not a good artist. So it, it's it's unfortunate, because, uh, like, I, like I said, Juan Ortiz... He's he, a pretty good guy, but yeah, I, you know, overall I thought that was a pretty good, uh, pretty good little Green Lantern backup story. That was pretty neat. Yes, very cool. Cool. Well, are we ready for one uh, eleven? Yes. All right. Green Lantern 111, the December 1978 issue. We got uh, a Mike Grell cover depicting, if I can get the damn image to come up. There we go. Oh, it's this big, freaky-looking monster is uh, attacking Hal Jordan, and Hal Jordan it, it kind of looks like he's using his power ring to kind of whip up Alan Scott out of nowhere, and Alan Scott's yeah, saying, Yeah, uh, that's cool. The danger to the universe is too great. You need help from me, the magical Green Lantern. But it is a cool cover, though, even though it's it's kind of kind of goofy. The guy looks like half of him is the Michelin Man or something. That's that's part of the problem with him. But half half of him is is a human torch without the flames. The other half is a Stay Puffed Marshmallow. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that works. I like that. All right. So in this one, uh, let's see. It's. Uh, this story now this this is the whole issue in this one. This is not just a backup feature. Uh, this one is written by Denny O'Neill with art by Alex Saviak and again Vinnie Coletta on the inks. Story is entitled "Dark Things Cannot Stand the Light." We begin our tale with Green Lantern wandering in the uh, after dark streets of Star City with his pal Green Arrow, who's busting his ass for being a cosmic adventurer and losing touch with the common man and street level crime. Just then they witness a couple of thugs busting in and roughing up an old fortune teller woman in her own shop. Green Arrow takes out one and GL apparently takes out the other by turning him into a statue. But it weren't me, says Green Lantern. The old woman tries to take credit, but Green Arrow, token asshole on a team populated by an alien, a man who works for aliens, an android, a woman fashioned out of clay and given life by the gods, a merman, and, oh yeah, a magician, says, ha, magic, you're retarded, old woman. (laughs) (laughs) 
thank you for pointing out something I've always had a problem with. Yeah, you know, these kind of things don't work. They don't work the same way that that, like, Batman abducted by aliens story didn't just didn't work. You know, when he is good pals with a guy who is a freaking alien, and those kind of stories yeah. just don't work in that world. I'm sorry. Anyway, Hal flashes back to his origin story, and then it's off to Oa for some answers. There they meet up with a guardian of the universe who tells them the tale of the Star Heart. Seems that way back when, when the Guardians were first setting up shop, they rounded up all the stray magic and flung it into the heart of a star for safekeeping. Green Arrow points out what a bang-up job they did, too, with all the uh, wizards and warlocks they've met over the years. And then I thought, wait a minute, didn't he just cuss out that old gypsy woman because magic is all bullshit and everything, according to him? But anyway, something from outside the galaxy has stolen the Star Heart. Well, that explains everything, says our guys, to which I would love to scream, No, it doesn't! But I can play along with a gag, I guess. Hal decides he don't know nothing about no magic, so he has the Guardian drag his buddy Alan Scott, the original Green Lantern of Earth 2, to the scene. And again, why are these guys never on the shitter or in the shower when they get sucked into these kind of things? Just once I want to see that happen. They bring uh, Alan Scott up to speed, and Alex... um, um, it, it did happen. What? Legends number one. Did Firestorm it? was in the shower. You're right. You're right. I knew that at one time Firestorm had been pulled together when one of them was showering, but I couldn't remember where that was exactly. You are absolutely right. You and that memory, man. It comes in handy every once in a while. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Remind remind me to tell you later about a a memory thing that came up last night that was very amusing. So they bring uh, Alan Scott up to speed, and after some initial reluctance to go two against one, a very odd hang-up for a guy in the Justice Society of America to have, I would think, he agrees to help out. <laughs> so the two lanterns charge up, and why does the Owen battery work for Alan Scott's ring? I just have to ask. And taking Green Arrow in tow, they set up, set off for the deepest, darkest space where they meet up with and get blasted by the freakish-looking guy that they were pursuing. The Green Lanterns recover, and Green Arrow wants to know what the next move is going to be. And that's where we end kind of on a uh, cliffhanger of sorts for this one. Now... This issue suffers badly, in my opinion, from a, a, a thing that uh, I, I find this a lot in science fiction, particularly Star Trek, where they seem to think that the terms like solar system and galaxy and universe are somehow all interchangeable and shit. And they're not. OK, you know, th those have very specific meanings and <laughs> you can't just flip flop them around. But this story kind of gives the impression that Oa is in our own galaxy. And I thought Oa was supposed to be like the center of the entire universe, right? Yeah. So that part of it's a little bit wonky. And as a matter of fact, I think the next uh, issue actually starts using the term universe more rather than just galaxy. But in this, this portion of the story, they're still saying galaxy, which means it, it makes it feel like a very isolated type of deal rather than yeah. you know, like a universe threatening thing. I know that's kind of nitpicky, but I just thought it worth pointing out. Um, I really liked the exchange between green arrow and the guardian on page 10 where, uh, you know, 
Green Arrow asks him, you know, who charged you with creating order anyway? And the the Guardian makes kind of a veiled reference to Krona. I thought that was really neat, you know, about how the the Guardians feel responsible for unleashing chaos on the on the universe to begin with, and this is kind of an outgrowth of the of the whole Guardians origin story. I thought that was pretty cool. And you know, despite Coletta's involvement, and my only really being lukewarm to Alex Seviak's art at best, this still wasn't bad. I mean, I still. I still kind of dug the art in this one. It was, it was, it was okay. It was passable. The page compositions were really good. Yes. Um, you know, like, like page 14 with the two lanterns, both holding on to a central battery with the two smaller figures of them floating in front of it. I just thought that was a neat, a neat visual. Um, my notes are, eh, I don't have too many about it. It's it, Mainly it revolves around the fact that I fucking hate Oliver Queen during this era. Because his, his, he's that fucking asshole that just comes up and starts shit for no good goddamn reason. He's the guy that comes in and calls everyone out when his own house isn't in order. Right. That pisses me off. That pisses me off. You know how... You know, you don't know much about the common man. Really, Ollie? Didn't we, like, bum around the country for, like, a, a year or so? You know, remember? Remember remember that was before you killed that guy and went off and, and, and shaved your head. and became a monk for, like, <laughs> however long that was. Because, <clears throat> you see, Ollie, I remember that. I don't know if that chili you make has, like, memory loss capabilities for you. But, yeah, go eat a dick. Um, oh, I feel a little strongly about this, apparently. Um, <laughs> I liked seeing the origin. It was drawn in a, in a more Silver Age style than the rest of the issue. I kind of appreciated that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Magic? That's silly. Idiot. <laughs> <laughs> that's, an, that's a writer not really paying attention to the characters that he's writing. And not paying attention to the situation around him. I mean, was Zatanna on the team by this point? I'm thinking she she probably was, right? Regardless of that, with all the shit he has seen as a member of the Yeah, Justice that's true. Like uh like Felix Faust and all that, yeah. Yeah, it's it's like you fought Starbreaker, you know? You shouldn't run into a vampire and go, "Well, that's just that, that just can't happen." You know, the better thing is, you know, I've seen a lot of stuff. I still don't know if I buy magic. You know, maybe there's a better explanation for it. You know, for what's going on here than magic, but uh, and he always takes like this kind of snide attitude with the guardians, and it just proves how much the guardians have like infinite patience because, man, they could have like turned him into like green dust on the floor like at any moment, but the old guys are just too nice. I'm not really hot on this story, but I can't really find anything with it to say this is why I hate it. You know, right. So it's it's a very lukewarm. The the one we're about to get into, I have a little more to say about because it, it's 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 kind of it's more interesting at least. Uh, but uh, did you have anything else before we get into that? The only other thing I had was uh, I thought this was worth pointing out. There is a very rare answer of I don't know given in the uh, Ask the Answer Man <laughs> column, which I thought was worth pointing out. Uh, the question was. Whatever happened to Star Spangled Kid's sister, 
Mary, uh, Mary, girl of a thousand gimmicks? And the answer was, I don't know. Maybe she got married and became the wife of a thousand gimmicks. I, I just, you know, not only was it a Star Spangled Kid question, which is, you know, vaguely related to JSA, but I just, I was blown away by that because off the top of my head, I can't remember a time that uh, Ruzikus ever said he didn't know. That was the, the whole thing with the answer man is that he always had an answer. They might be, you know, snarky at times or whatever, but he, he always gave one. And I was really surprised to, to see that. <laughs> so I thought I'd point it out. All righty. Yeah, that is weird, man. I don't think I've ever <laughs> seen that. That is odd. I didn't really notice that. Um, we are moving on to issue 112, which is another great cover of uh, Hal, Ollie, and Alan cowering before this green bubble, and, and, and there's a woman in the in the foreground. And also, it has the, it has that you could be a winner in the second Superman movie contest. Love. I, I would have loved to have entered one of those, and at least one like a subscription to something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So uh, we start with uh, – oh, I totally skipped over the credits. <laughs> so the title for this one is Starheart Connection, story by Denny O'Neill, pencils by Alex Saviak, and inks again by Vinnie Coletta. Green Arrow wants to know at the beginning what the heck happened at the end of the last issue, and Hal explains that the Starheart thief hit them with some kind of whammy. Hal says that the thief went out of the galaxy and thus out of his jurisdiction, but Alan Scott is all like, fuck that, I'm a free agent. And soon, Green Arrow, Hal, Hal and Alan are after the thief again. On the trip, Ollie asks how Alan became Green Lantern, and Alan gives the whole story of being a railroad engineer who was in an accident uh, that was an act of sabotage, and the lantern saved him, and he became a superhero. And it's Sab- that's really sabotage. all they explain. Sabotage. Sabotage. Alan Alan admits that he You say sabotage, I say sabotage. Well, he's Canadian, so he says sabotage. Um, (laughs) I would have never known that if I didn't listen to two freaks, just to tell you. Um, Alan admits that he doesn't know where the voice came from before they reach a weird planet that is run by both magic and science. Once they are in the planet's atmosphere, both GL's power rings go out and all three heroes plummet to the ground. Ollie wakes up and finds himself with science police to the left of him, dwarves to the right of him, stuck in the middle with you. <laughs> Ollie fights valiantly, but is a... <laughs> Ali fights valiantly, but is eventually knocked out. When he revives, he is conf- con- confronted, excuse me, by the Starheart thief. Apparently, the guy's name is Zalaz, which sounds to me like Zaxby's, which makes me want. To- I was just thinking once he actually said his name out out loud, I thought of his Zalads from Zaxby's. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> now I'm hungry. I want a blue yeah. salad. Oh, oh God, that would be awesome. Yeah, with the the buffalo blue salad. Oh my God. Why'd you have to say that? No, I'm hungry. We'll have to to get together and totally tear one of those up one day. Yes. Uh, And then we can both go out and eat Chinese food later in the day because neither of us really gets to eat Chinese food all that often. Like never. (laughs) Because my wife is allergic to MSG. Chinese Uh, food? They cut up cats for that. You shouldn't eat that. It's like, I don't like cats all that much anyway. 
I don't give a shit. I just want some General So's chicken, okay? It's, it's oh, so- dude, you're killing me here. Killing me! So apparently Zalas is the jackhole. I mean, the jacklord of the domain. What the hell is a jacklord, anyway? I thought jacklord was <laughs> somebody off of Hawaii Five-0. Yeah. Zalas explains that he stole the heart to save his wife, Mala. That's how I'm going to say it. Or Emla. And when Ali asks where his friends are, Zalas sends him to them. Zalas announces that they can never leave, but they're going to be taken care of, so it's all good. And when Ali asks why they can't break out, they reveal the cell is made of petrified yellow wood, which sounds like some kind of social disease. Alan and Hal combine their powers, which they can only do because Alan charged his ring on Oa, and I smell a convenient plot point. Oh, I mean, they managed to break free. Would it seem terribly mean of me to point out? Now... I know he's not really. I know neither one of these guys are really, but it makes them seem like amazingly fucking lame if they can be taken out by petrified yellow wood, doesn't it? I mean, seriously. <laughs> does that mean that does that mean that the dude from the Yellowwood commercials could be like their arch nemesis? <laughs> I mean, you know, at least kryptonite is emitting a form of radiation. Yeah. You know? But I mean, yeah. the whole yellow, maybe that's one of the reasons I never found not just Hal Jordan, but the whole Green Lantern thing back during this time period, all that interesting because of the yellow thing, because they overused it like Superman with kryptonite in the silver age. I, I think they, they use this yellow thing as a crutch and it really hit me with, with this portion of this story that the yellow thing went, this was going too far. Well, I think, I, I think really and truly that that was one of the things about Kyle Rayner that I liked so much is that the yellow impurity was removed, but right. he was still able to be defeated. Right. And I'm you glad know? that it hasn't come back either. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really glad that hasn't come back. Uh, they fight with Zalas, but the ruler manages to release all of the Starheart energy, which causes him to disappear, but his wife revives. Apparently, she is hot beyond hot. And Ali won't even look at her because he feels he can't—he would never be able to look at another woman again, which is the worst pickup line ever, by the way. <laughs> but she heals his wounds anyways. Suddenly, the green flame shows up and tells her that it needs to return the Starheart or bad shit will happen. There's really no other way to describe that conversation. Right. She she does so and disappears herself, returning Hal and Ollie to Earth. Ollie wonders if Alan got home okay. Hal says he's sure Alan did, and Ollie adds, "So is she." God, that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> That's Denny O'Neill wrote himself into a corner and did not know how to end this issue. It's not horrible though but yeah i i i always have a problem with stories that end like this especially when it's you know everybody winds up back where they were but you don't you don't see all of them so you have to infer that certain people wound up and the hero because it's the last two panels they never seem terribly concerned they're like well gee i hope they made it back all right yeah fuck those guys they're they're all right they'll be okay you know it's like no you know, I think you need to get your ass out there and make sure he's not still stranded on the on the half and half planet, you know? Yeah. 
Oh, it, that kind of thing makes me a little um, bit crazy. But, you know, I, I did like the gimmick with the woman. You know, once she revives and come out, did you notice that they never show her face? Yeah, that was kind of cool. Yeah. I did like that. I mean, I mean, I don't hate this issue. I don't hate this story. I just think it seems to be a much ado about nothing in the end. I mean, the most it does is play with the Starheart concept, mm-hmm. which will come back in a major way after the crisis right. with Alan Scott. So it's kind of neat to see that groundwork being laid. But, God, Oliver Queen just annoys me during this whole era. I mean, like I said... About, so you it, said it that same- before about it being this era, but is it is it solely this era? Because i got to admit, I've never warmed to that character. I still <laughs> see him this way as just... He's the token instigating asshole. And, and I don't think he's ever... <laughs> I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but has he ever matured or... or grown out of that role because i still see him that way yeah he's the adjutant of the team and that's the role he seems to that's the only role he really seems to i'll agree with that i mean his in in i don't think he was that way during mike grell's era with the character okay and when he's when he was in his own title uh during the the one that started up with the kevin smith run I thought that uh, that he, that he was he was pretty well handled. You know, he 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 was especially in those first thirty or so issues. They were really dealing with him coming back from the dead. But it, it seems now, especially with what DC has done to him uh, through that whole bullshit of Justice League cry for justice, where he kills Prometheus at the end, and the entire Justice League is like wigging out because a hero has killed a major villain and boy, that theme has not been explored within the past six years of DC comics <laughs> at all. Maxwell Lord. So I just, I think green arrow had one definite run where he was interesting and kind of interesting with the Kevin Smith stuff. But other than that, he is a one note character, his backups. I, I refuse to read any more of that backup series from detective comics. <laughs> yeah. Another one you're talking about because it can be summed up like this. I'm a liberal and I'm going to tell you all about it. Yep. How you doing? You know, uh, and it's, uh, and it's not being a liberal is bad. It's just, yes, it is. That... I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> But, you lob him across the plate. I, I have no choice but to swing at him. Okay. But if that's going to be like, like if he felt a certain way and he was espousing principles that are normally attributed to a liberal, that would be one thing. When you say it in the course of the conversation all the time, that's another thing entirely, and that's obnoxious. So. Right. Right. Um, but uh. My my last note is, I kind of liked the art in this issue. It, it was a little wonky in places, but it's kind of really cool in others. Mm-hmm. Especially those first few pages with, there's a shot of Alan Scott flying. Um, next, it's on page two on that bottom panel. It's just a really nonchalant yeah. pose of him flying, and for some reason that grabs me, and I don't know why. Yeah, it is a good picture. I noticed that one when I was reading this, too. Yeah, You know, Saviak's not a bad artist. And as a matter of fact, yeah. the, the page I wanted to point out was the very next page, the uh, 
first part of the recap of the Golden Age GL's origin, that train crash sequence is awesome. I mean, that looks <laughs> really sharp. So, you know, Savick, he he's not, you know, one of my favorites or anything, but I think he's a solid artist. I, I think he does some good stuff. He's good on Spider-Man. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm very, I'm very, it, it's the same with Ross Andrew. I love his Spider-Man stuff. So, weird that they both fall into that umbrella. So, <laughs> what do you get? Uh, let's see. Oh, page five. I think it's page five. Let me see here. Page. Yeah, bottom of page five. All right, super nitpick for this uh, for this episode. Super, super nitpick. The Golden Age Green Lantern, who actually lived during this era and should know better, says, and I quote, and as Al Jolson says, you ain't seen nothing yet. Um, actually, GL, the quote is, you ain't heard nothing yet because it was from the jazz singer which was the first talkie film so well maybe that's what he said in earth 2 ah that's a good point up to that point films didn't have video you could only hear them so all right yeah that makes sense i guess (laughs) no it doesn't i'm just being an ass (laughs) um something i got to thinking about and you know you're you're Mr. Memory, so you might actually know this. There might actually be an interest, an, an instance of this that I'm just not remembering. But it's one of those things that vaguely bugs the back of my mind, and I can't put a reason to exactly why. It just kind of bugs me. All right, say you're a superhero, right? Say uh-huh. you're not Superman or somebody. You're you're a lower tier hero, right? And you're you're going about your business. You got enough shit going on in your life. You know, leading a dual life has got to be a lot of work, right? It's 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 got to be a fucking headache, right? Mm-hmm. So you're you're doing your thing. You're you're trying your best to keep your town or your city or your universe or whatever safe from bad guys and all that kind of shit. Yet every so often, you keep getting drug into these adventures in a whole nother fucking reality, right? Just one time, I I think it would be realistic to have gotten one instance where one of these guys would would just honestly come right out and say, you know, I'm sorry, but I really don't give two shits about what goes on in your reality. I got enough shit going on in my, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know? now I. I'm glad that's funny, and I did intend it to kind of be funny, but at the same rate, I'm actually kind of serious about this. You know, I mean. You know, you and I, we're, we're both really into science fiction. How many things have you seen where, you know, whether it's, I don't know, Star Trek or whatever, where they get sucked into some, you know, some other reality? Has that thought never hit you before that, you know, really, they're, they're spending a lot of time and resources in this other reality that in the long run, what, it is, what does it all matter? You know, they don't have to live there. Who do, what, what do they care if the, the Empire takes over and kills everybody? They don't fucking live there. You know, I mean, maybe that would make me a really shitty superhero if I if if I was in that. But I, I couldn't I don't think I could help but feel that way were it me. So like in this story, you know, Green Lantern from Earth 2 gets sucked into this type of thing. Now, granted, he's friends with all these guys and all that. So maybe that's different. Maybe if it was Earth 19, you know, they'd be like, I don't give a shit, you know. But I would have liked to have seen that 
at least one time while the multiverses existed where where there was an instance of that of of one of the characters speaking up and just saying i, I don't know don't care you know yeah like look guys i uh i got yeah like you said i got my own shit to deal with right now yeah so. I think that that's very realistic. I, I really do. You know, maybe it might be shallow and it might not be a way for a hero to act, but still, I think it's real. I think that's a human reaction of this is a whole alternate reality. You know, I don't give a I don't give a shit what goes on here. I really don't. Um, at the same rate, and I know this doesn't really tie into this, but again, it got me with the whole parallel Earth thing. It got me to thinking about this. I would have loved before the the multiverse goes away if we had gotten a story where you know every time these guys get together it's a all right we're either saving your dimension or we're saving my dimension you know it's it's always somebody's teaming up to save one of the other dimensions and th- this was the part where I wanted to test your memory was there ever an instance that pitted the dimensions against each other you know, sort similar to say like uh, the first DC versus Marvel crossover, where in that one it came down to a contest where only one was going to survive, so they basically had to fight each other for survival. I would have liked to have seen something like that with Earth One and Earth Two, where they weren't teaming up, where it was down to I, I have to fight for my own reality. You know, hey, you know, I, you guys are cool, but you know. When shit comes down, I'm saving my reality, and I don't think we ever really get that, do we? I don't think I don't think we do. It sounds familiar, mm-hmm. like it, it it like it did happen, and I read that story. I cannot tell you a specific time that it happened, though. I'm sorry, this is right. where I'm going to prove prove that I I don't have a freakish memory. I think there may have been hints of something like that in you know while crisis was going on yeah that's where some of the guys felt like you know they they wish that they you know that that ultimately they were fighting for their own reality and you know they wish their friends well but you know if if their own reality turned out the reality that it wouldn't you know that they would feel all right with that but but yeah ultimately i would have liked to have seen a story like that that didn't necessarily make them fight each other, but at the same rate, it made them fight for their own reality, their own dimension, and ultimately be like, well, you know, these other guys are going to have to fend for themselves. I, you know, I've got to do for my people type of thing. Yeah. Um, I got to ask, does this story make sense? Not a bit. Okay. I, I wasn't sure. It's, not, it was it's not just you. Yeah. When I got to the end of it, I was like, I don't know. Every once in a while I get to some of the end of some of these stories and I'm like, I got to reread this because I must have missed something or something. But I was kind of pressed for time today. So when I read this, I I didn't I I didn't feel invested enough to go back and reread it from the beginning to make sure I hadn't actually missed something. But it was fun. It was it was okay, But ultimately, you know, I think I'm ready to move along. I think I'm ready to move along, too. So do you want to make the announcement or do you want me to? I'll be happy to make the announcement, I guess. Um, Mike and I have been talking. And not only have we been talking, we've been listening. And we've been listening to you, our listeners. And uh, you guys are awesome. I I love the feedback we get from you because, 
you you tell it like it is. You you really give us the feedback that we want to hear as far as uh, what you're really thinking and what you're really wanting from us. And what it seems like the majority is wanting from us is for us to stop dicking around with these (laughs) intermediate stories and get to the meat. And in this particular instance, the meat is All-Star Squadron. And uh, you know what? We absolutely and completely agree with you because when we dreamed up this little series, it was All-Star Squadron that I think we really had in our minds more than anything else. I mean, sure, you know, I I love the All-Star comic stuff, love the adventure comic stuff, but All-Star Squadron was really what was forefront in my mind. I just got to thinking about all the incredible characters there are in that series some of the fantastic storylines, some of the beautiful art, and just the great things that happen in that series. And it's it's meaty, it's fun, it's long, and it uh, ultimately ends up getting uh, wrapped up in Crisis on Infinite Earth. So I'm really excited about that. Mike's really excited about that. And we've figured out a way to incorporate some of the other sideline projects we wanted to do actually kind of more properly putting them in a place where they fit down the road rather than than squeeze them in now where they might feel a little bit awkward and ultimately delay us from getting to All-Star Squadron. So the big announcement is starting with next episode, we are delving into All-Star Squadron and we will be looking at uh, Justice League of America number 193 that features the uh, what do you call that? Uh, like Sixteen-page preview. I that was it. Them. That was it. Thank you. I, I suddenly blanked on what that was actually called. But yeah, right smack in the middle of uh, Justice League One Ninety Three was this uh, preview giveaway thing that was, uh, you know, just showing you what All Star Squadron was going to be. But it's a story in and of itself. So we're going to cover that one and. Uh, All-Star Squadron number one. So that's beginning next episode, and we are mighty freaking excited about it, and uh, we hope that you will be as well. Lastly, I have to report, I did look it up, and none of what we covered this episode, the uh, Flash issue or the Green Lantern issues, none of this stuff has been reprinted. So I know you're just absolutely freaking heartbroken that you can't read these awesome, <laughs> awesome stories, but I'm sorry. It's not I'm my fault. For <laughs> I'm glad I didn't pay for that Flash issue yet. I yeah. Mean, I have to eventually because i got to fill in my holes. But... uh you know, I uh, these were on my list um, recently for for when I've gone around to other shops and uh, gone to conventions and stuff for a while leading up to our coverage. And now I'm really glad that I didn't find a one of them because yeah, I just you know they they were cool, they were fun, but I'm just as happy that I, I read them in CBR format. The only drawback was that. Uh, Actually, this is something. This, this is my last comment for the issue because, or for the episode, because I know we got to go. But um, people, if any of you out there in listener land are scanners, and I'm not encouraging such a thing, I'm not condoning such a thing, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, bashing on such a thing. I'm just saying, if you happen to be into that whole scene. Do the world a favor and scan the friggin' ads too. I don't understand all these scans that don't have ads in them because I'm sure that there was in all the issues that we just talked about. There had to be 
a hostess ad in one of those issues. I'm I'm almost certain of it. But the scans that Mike and I were looking at for this uh, for this episode uh, had no ads. I was I was disappointed in that. So if you're gonna yeah. if you're gonna do that, do it right. All right. <laughs> the ads return next week. Ah, sweet. We've got yes. ads to talk about. We've got the All Star Squadron. We've got a new theme. We've got a new intro. It's got a new co-host. Oh no, I'm, no, I'm, no. You're really who's taking over your spot? Oh, I set myself up. <laughs> God damn it! Thank you for listening to another exciting episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey. If you like this show, check out Back to the Bins, where Mike and I talk about random back issues from the past. You can find that at www.2TrueFreaks.Libsyn.com. Scott has another podcast that he hosts with his childhood friend and former personal masseuse and fry cook to Oprah Winfrey, Chris Honeywell, called Two True Freaks, which, like Tales and Back to the Bins, can be found at www.2TrueFreaks.Libson.com. Mike has a few other podcasts that he either hosts or co-hosts because he loves the sound of his own voice as well. The first is Views from the Longbox, which is Mike's solo show and can be found at www.ViewsFromTheLongbox.com. Then there's From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor, which can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbaileytude.com. Scott and I have gigantic egos, and we love to hear from the listeners. You can reach the show by writing to Tales of the JSA at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and come back next week for another installment of the Tales of the Justice Society of America. Yeah.